Well, all right. Uh, welcome. Good morning. Welcome to Cheney Faith Center. My name is Pastor Cooper. I'm an associate pastor here at the church. And so if this is one of your first times here, uh, welcome. And like April said, there's a little candy gift box out in the Next Steps area, free for you. Just our gift to say, have some chocolate and sugar on us, and we love you, and all those things. So feel free to take advantage of that, because if I was first time, I'd be saying, I'm first time every single Sunday. I want some candy. I want some sugar. Um, so please, yeah, come on now. Um, so feel free to do that. Well, again, uh, I want to just say I'm honored and privileged to be speaking this morning. I'm usually doing music or worship. Um, Pastor Kate and Mark, our lead pastors, they're on vacation right now. So, I'm, uh, so I have the pulpit this Sunday. So it's an honor and a privilege to be speaking with you guys um, all this morning. And I want to say this is a lot of you might be here for the first time or maybe invited, whatever it might be. Know this, that there is a reason why you're here this morning. Whatever the reason is, just know that there's a word for you and God's got something to share for you to either encourage you, challenge you, whatever it might be. So know that you're here for a reason and we're glad that you're here and we welcome that you're here because we, re we really believe that God's got some stuff in store and plan for us all this morning. And so what's going to be happening is we're going to be finishing up our series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been going through this since about the start of summertime in June. We've been working um, almost verse by verse, kind of section by section um, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And so today I'm going to be summing it all up, kind of landing the plane. And we're going to be in chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, verses 10 through 20. So if you brought your Bible with you, if you have a smartphone with a Bible app, whatever it is, um, you can start getting to that section of Scripture that we're going to be studying. So Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 through 20. Now just a quick little bit of a, a, um, a background into this section of scripture and just the book of Ephesians in general. We do this a lot, but I just think it's so valuable to get the cultural context of what we're talking about. So it kind of makes the scripture come alive. And so uh, in Ephesus, this is about 2,000 years ago, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a missionary. He went there and helped start and launch a large church movement in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a very cultured, diverse city um, with large temples. Actually, the temple of Artemis is in there. Um, it's a wonder of the world, an ancient wonder of the world. And in that city, there was a lot of interesting so to speak, but I would say dark, demonic, cult temple practices that were occurring. And so Paul is in this environment as a missionary and starts preaching the gospel. And people start kind of being like, wow, this, this Jesus thing is interesting. It's a lot different than this normal pagan temple worship I'm used to. Like there's actual hope and, and freedom in Christ. And they become Christians and they believe in Jesus. And he pastors them and then they grow bigger and bigger. Then he takes off, Paul does. And years down the road, he gets arrested for preaching about Jesus. So he's in jail thinking, man, I should probably write some letters to the churches that I've been a part of and helped start. So he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And when he writes this letter, it's not like he postmarks it to 
a building like 100 Ephesus Drive, the Church of Ephesians. What he's doing is he's writing to the people who are Christ followers. That's the church. The church is made up of people. It's not a building. So he's writing to the church, and they have this letter, and they're passing it around to all of their friends and all, their, and all the other Christians in that city, and they're discussing it. They're dissecting it. They're praying through it. They're thanking the Lord for it because they truly believe in the Holy Spirit working through Paul in this letter, that there is truth in there and there is some goodness that they can live by. And so Paul in this whole entire letter kind of gives some huge, huge reminders and big truth statements. But essentially to sum it up is he reminds the church of who they are in Christ, of what Jesus has done for them. And then he kind of puts some real world practical applications of like, hey, since this is who you are in Jesus, Here's how you live that out. In um, just the previous weeks, we've been talking about some of the relational areas that he brings up, you know, husband, wife, kid, and parent, and how there's this mutual submissiveness in those relationships, much like there is with God and the church. And so, um, so from there, he ends this letter with a big bang. Who's ever been to like a fireworks show and seen or been waiting for like the big finale? Like, yes, the finale. And depending on how much money they have in their fireworks show, it's either like, that was a cool finale. It wasn't much different. Or else it's like, whoa, like I couldn't even like see anything because it was so bright. Like it was just crazy. Like I don't know if the world is on fire. Whatever happened. And so what Paul is doing is, is he is ending this book in essential, like, like a big finale. And that's how uh, in the culture of this time, in the Greek and Roman culture, they would write their letters. Is they would have a bunch of good information, then they would end it with a really, really big bang. And they'd end it um, with a huge importance, and people would kind of wait for the ending remarks of a letter or some type of story that is being um, written excuse me, or read about. So that's what Paul is doing here in chapter 6 um, in these last few verses. He's kind of just putting the nail in the coffin and just making a big, big thing um, for the people to be reminded of and encouraged by. Now, to be, to be again, just in context, uh, these people, they are loving this because a lot of them have probably come from that lifestyle of pagan temple worship and have been entrenched in a lot of interesting things. And so now they're this Christian, this Christ follower, and they're like, how do I live this life out? Because my friends are still engaged in this culture. They're still a part of it. But like, I don't believe in that really anymore. So how do I do this? And so they are again, really taking in the letter that Paul is writing for them. And I think for us in 2018, we should take it in for truth as well. This applies to us the exact same as it would apply to them during this church of Ephesians back 2,000 years ago. Um, so I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through, uh, through 20. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I'll have the scriptures also behind me as I'm reading. And he says this in chapter 6, verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. The good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Verse 20, I am now in chains, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can gather here and discuss this, talk about this, receive from it, that we are in a country that's free to do so, Lord. But God, that you have been using Paul's words for years and years and years to encourage and challenge and to just help us get rooted back down to the core truths of who we are in you, Lord, of who we are in Christ Jesus. So God, open up our hearts and minds to let your Holy Spirit to give us a fresh word, to encourage us, to challenge us, and to help us become more in love with you, Lord God, that as we know, grow, and go for, your, for you and your gospel, that we would be uh, just equipped to go out and to give this message elsewhere as well, Lord. So bless our time. Lord, let the words I speak be from you, not from me. And um, we just pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so one of the things I believe uh, Paul was saying right off the top here in this section is our first point this morning. It says this, the enemy wants to ruin our life and he will try anything to bring us down. You might be like, dude, that's a bad way to start off a sermon. <laughs> like, here's the downer. But what Paul is really saying in this is like, hey, there is an enemy. And he is going to try to weasel his way around to bring you down. Right? The enemy wants to ruin our life. He will try anything to bring us down. He opens that up. One final word, by the way, the enemy is after you. Now, a common term used in the church world, and I want us to use this morning, is this term spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. You might have heard of this, maybe in whatever church context you were brought up in, or church background, it might be a brand new word, whatever it might be, but it's this word spiritual warfare. Now, one thing I want to say is, it, it is it's not a scary word. It's not a weird word. It's actually a reality that we need to be made aware of. And what Paul is saying here in this section of the book of Ephesians, he's saying there is a reality, there is an enemy, there is a battle for our life. It's not in flesh and blood, it's really with those evil rulers and principalities of darkness. So he is bringing a truth, a reality, that there is a battle for our life. It's a spiritual battle. And so in the church world, we have said that's spiritual warfare. There's warfare, there's a give and take, there's battles, all those things. But here's the kicker, and the thing that I love, and I'll give you the answer right off the top, is this, is we have won the war. 
we've actually already won all the battles in our life, which is a huge, huge encouragement for us. But what Paul is unpacking here is that there is a spiritual battle for every person's soul, and the enemy wants to come after you one way or another. And you might say, I don't really believe in that. No, it's happening. We just can't really see it. But man, there is stuff happening in the spiritual world because the enemy does not like people coming into freedom. The enemy does not like people to receive encouragement from other believers or to realize that they have a hope and a salvation found in Jesus. The enemy wants to just keep you down and just suppress to not experience that freedom that we can have. So most of us would probably agree that there is good and evil in the world. We might even go so far to say, yeah, there's a, there's a spiritual life. There, there's, a, there's an afterlife. And a lot of researches from like the Pew Research or the Barna Institute group, it's usually over like 90% of Americans believe that there's an afterlife, that there is something spiritual beyond what we would have here. Even Hollywood talks about this in the movies, like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, whatever it is. There's always like this good and evil battle, and there's like these spiritual tie-ins and things. Our culture somewhat functions in that. But as we go into a Christian worldview, we would say that the evil in this world is our flesh or sin nature that we're all born with, that every human being has, because the enemy, the deceiver, in the original sin of Adam and Eve, deceived them to take of the tree of, good, of, 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 of knowledge. And from that moment, we have fallen and been out of God's original design and creation to live in harmony with him. And so since that time, this evil has existed. And the enemy wants to keep people trapped in that evil and trapped in that hopelessness. But God in his goodness has a plan of salvation to restore hope and to restore that relationship back with us in God. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And so there's this plan of salvation to provide hope and to provide freedom that is offered to us. But the enemy does not want us to know of that, to believe in it, to continue in it. And so they're gonna, the enemy is going to come after us and try to take that from us or try to disguise it, whatever it might be. So there is a spiritual battle. There is spiritual warfare that is happening within our life. And to deny it is truly to just deny the truth of what is reality. Paul is making it very, very clear in here. He says, no, there is an enemy, and he is truly trying to use any tactic possible to try to bring us down. He even says in verse 13, that it's pretty much a certain thing that we're going to be in a spiritual battle, that we will experience spiritual battles in our life. He says this in verse 13, uh, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So from that statement right there, we can take two things. Number one, we will be in a battle. He doesn't say maybe if you're in a battle, might be in a battle. He says, no, then after the battle. So like you're going to be in one. So after the battle, you're going to be standing firm. The other truth is that we will win. We will, be, we will be firm in who we are in Christ. And we have the weapons. We have the firm foundation to endure those attacks. And we essentially have won the war. The war is over. The enemy thinks they can still, like, win, which it's like, no, dude, like, you can't. Like, we have won. Like, Christ died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. He conquered death. Like, story's over, man. 
The enemy's like, no, 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 I'm going to still try to weasel my way in. So there's this continual battle and this spiritual warfare that happens. I remember as a kid, I had some pretty intense nightmares and um, vivid dreams and times of anxiousness and just fearfulness and was just kind of like living under attack a lot of times. And I was eight, nine, ten years old in, 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 uh, in that realm. And I grew up in the church, and I grew up with a, with a Bible-believing family. And we'd pray, you know, against those attacks. And we'd pray, like, in Jesus' name, like, those would just go away. And I believed in that. But I also, even from this day, looking back, believed that the enemy was trying to just discourage me and attack me, knowing that there was probably a call in my life to be a pastor and to lead one day. So the enemy was trying to get after me at a young age. But I remember something um, that just stuck out to me, and my mom would always remind me of this. She's a very prayerful person, but she would just call the devil as, as what he was, as just stupid. She's like, he's stupid. And I'm like, yeah, he's stupid. She's like, no, like, he's, he's just stupid. Like, you can just smash him. He's like, he's like a little tiny bug. And I'm like, yeah. But then, like, as a kid, I really remember actually, like, making this image of like this scary like devil demon like my imagination was making up and just like shrinking him down into a little tiny potato bug and just being like like done like he's gone and just finally like having this like boldness and faith that like the devil is pretty stupid like (laughs) he has no power he thinks he's got all this power but he doesn't And just kind of standing up and believing in that and believing that, like, we've won this war. We have what it takes to battle the enemy was huge for me. And it stuck with me. And maybe that will encourage you. I don't know. But, man, the devil is stupid. And we can just punch him in his stupid little face. And he's done, right? Like, we're we're good to go. Um, But what's great and what Paul starts to talk about in, in, in in our next point is this, is we are equipped to battle the enemy So let's use what God gave us. We are equipped to battle the enemy. Let's use what God gave us. So in this next section, um, Paul starts to describe the tools that we have to engage in spiritual warfare and to fight this fight and to really defeat the enemy and to stand firm against his attacks. If you grew up in Sunday school or in the church, you've probably heard about the armor of God. Maybe like back way when, when I was a kid, we had little flannel graphs. I think we actually have flannel graphs in Faith Kids because I saw the Amazon order for a flannel graph and I was like, they're still using flannel graphs. Um, but where you'd put on like, like the different uh, parts of the armor and be like some cartoon person, you'd describe it. Well, that's what Paul is doing right here. This is the famous armor of God. And I want to just um, for a few moments um, have us unpack this as well and apply to our life. Because we might have read about it, have heard about it, but it's good to always go over it again and to maybe draw some new conclusions from it and just some new insights from it. Um, So Paul is using armor as a a metaphorical kind of analogy um, for these weapons that God gives us. Because in the culture, and especially in Ephesus, it was a Roman-controlled environment. So the people were used to seeing Roman soldiers walking around um, in all their garb, the shields, swords, helmets, all those stuff. So it wasn't out of their context to look at that and apply that to their life. Paul is also referencing um, some prophetic statements from the book of Isaiah, 
where Isaiah was giving some prophetic uh, messianic kingdom language about our future messianic king, Jesus. And in just that he would be a, 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 a God that would rule with righteousness as his armor and justice and all these things. So Paul was kind of taking some of the Jewish culture and what they know from um, their religious holy books from Isaiah and also putting it in with the current culture of Ephesus with the Roman soldiers. And he comes with this armor of God. So I want us um, to read through this again, and it'll be up on the screen behind. It's verses 13 through 17. And something too that I think is good to be reminded of is like this armor of God and like the weapons, like we don't have to be certified to use them. We don't have to go through like a class or anything. Like God gives this to us to use. This is for us. Like we who believe in Jesus are empowered by his Holy Spirit can use what he's given us. We don't have to go through a 10-week class to use the belt of truth and how it works or anything like that. Like God gives us these things to use from the get-go. So verse 13 says this in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. So I'm going to have some um, different pictures and things that will go behind me as I talk about the parts of the armor of God. And so I do that. Um, I'm a visual learner. I love seeing things visually. And so maybe for some of us in the room, that would help as well. Um, just to see it and see some descriptions of it as well. So the first one that he talks about, Paul does, is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And in battle, this is important because it holds everything together. It allows actual movement within your life, right? If you are girded up, if your belt is tight, all your stuff's going to be together and you can have movement and um, engage in battle. Um, who's ever tried to see somebody run who's sagging their pants like Justin Bieber? Yeah, it's pretty funny, A, but they don't run very fast. And so it's good to have a belt that holds everything up. And the same goes with our life, is the truth in Jesus holds our life together. It is key. It is essential. It is key to how we live and breathe as humans, knowing our identity in Christ, knowing the truth of Jesus and his placement in our life. It is kind of the end-all, be-all. It helps everything just stay together when life gets hard. And we, we just don't know. We're like, oh, what we have is the truth of Jesus and his salvation for our life. The second one is the breastplate or the body armor of righteousness. In battle, it might be explanatory, but the, the, like the, the whole armor is going to protect from your vital organs from getting stabbed, right? Your heart, lungs, whatever it might be. It's going to deflect against some of those strong spears, swords, arrows, whatever it might be. And so the same goes for us in our life when we suit up in this breastplate of righteousness or body armor of righteousness is we are reminded that we are righteous in God's sight through Christ Jesus. So when the enemy comes and says, oh no, like your past, 
that's what defines you. Like, you're not righteous. Like, you're, you're actually a pretty horrible person. You start to believe these things, and you did this, you did that, and it just takes you down, down, down. Those are the enemy's kill shots, trying to go for the heart. But when you are suited up and reminded of, no, like, through Christ Jesus, I am righteous in his sight, you can defend against those kill shots from the enemy. And again, you can move freely in that truth of Jesus. Shoes of the good news, the gospel, which brings peace. Uh, this is very important. I mean, all these things together are crucial, right? All of the armor. It's not one is better than the other. They're all just very good. But the shoes, you got to have traction. Or else you're going to be slip sliding around, right? And so shoes are going to help keep you grounded and firm in your faith. And you can also use that to move forward to bring the gospel, the good news to others. Now, what's interesting is just a side note from a historical perspective is Alexander the Great, um, who in the ancient Greek culture and Macedonian culture conquered like the known world at that time, one of the greatest military tacticians and all these things. Some historians have made note that because he was so successful, could have been because he and his army and engineers and all those people didn't invent but perfected cleats actually figured out how to get traction with their shoes by putting glass, different beads, rocks, all sorts of stuff in their leather sandals. And some historians say that really helped them win wars and battles where firm foundations were key. And so Paul brings us into the conversation saying, you got to be grounded. you got to be firm on your feet in that gospel. And that's just the simple gospel of John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Having that just rooted in who you are is great and key to give you the, 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 uh, the grounding, but also the ability to move forward, to give that message to others. The shield of faith. In battle, typical shields for the Roman um, army were between two and four feet. They were covered in leather to extinguish arrows with fire. Um, and the same thing for us as Christians, we can use that shield of faith to block the enemy's attacks against us. Those things that he flings, those sayings, those lies, those deceitful things, whatever it is that he's just flinging, trying to get those shots on us, we can hide behind the faith of who God is and the faith that he has in our life to extinguish those arrows and not get hit by him. The enemy will say, oh, you, you just suck. Like, you're worthless. You're not going to amount to anything. You should just end it. Like, nobody cares about you. The enemy will say those things and try to get you to believe in those things. But we can even be reminded of the faith statements that God has in our life. Ephesians 2.10, what Paul was saying even earlier in this letter, that we are God's masterpiece. Like, we are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Having those faith-building statements at your disposal are huge and key so we can block the attacks of the enemy. Helmet of salvation, obviously in battle, helmet's great. Riding your bike, helmet's great. Riding those lime scooters in downtown Spokane, helmet's probably great. Um, and so the helmet's going to protect your head. Well, salvation, when we come to the knowledge of salvation, our minds are transformed and we are renewed and we have a whole new outlook 
on life. And we realize that there is salvation in Jesus. And that keeps us looking forward, keeps us looking to where our citizenship really is. And that's in heaven, that we're just here temporarily. And God has a plan for us beyond tomorrow. And then the sword of the Spirit. A lot of times people say this is the only offensive weapon. And for sure, it's the only like designated offensive weapon. But who's ever been cleated before, like in sports? It kind of hurts. I think, personally, I believe you can really use all of these elements of the armor of God as like offensive weapons, like bam, bam, all those things. But the sword of the spirit is definitely designated as an offensive weapon. And that's the word of God. That's allowing the truth in the scriptures that's God-breathed and inspired to just, boom, cut through and just take the enemy out. When the enemy tries to rally and say untrue things about you or whatever and tries to bring you down, you just go to the word of God. And this is where you say, no, like this is what, this is what God says about me. And you just stab him, right? Just get him, get him right there. But what's key about not only this weapon, but all parts of the armor of God is we, we need to use it or else it's worthless, right? A soldier is not going to go into battle and just have their sword hanging there and being like, I'm not going to use this thing. No, like you want to use it to be able to be a, like to survive and to attack. So we got to be using our Bible. We got to be reading in it, allowing it to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us and to correct us and allow the, 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 um, allow the scriptures to ring true in our life. Now, something that is interesting um, in this context, and, and I, I believe Paul says this without saying it and how he kind of sums up after talking about the armor of God, but the Roman army, they were machines. They were unstoppable. They conquered lots and lots of territory, and they essentially had the Mediterranean, uh, the Mediterranean Sea as like a Roman lake. Like they surrounded it all. All of that territory was theirs in control. And um, they would march at a pace of about five miles per hour with upwards of 70 pounds of stuff attached to them, all their armor, shields, all that stuff. And they'd usually go for about five hours a day, stop, and then build a fort, like literally build a fort in a night. And how they do that is they would dig a ditch three feet deep and then three feet high around their entire regiment or battalion of soldiers. Sometimes it would be as large as eight football fields together. Every night they would do that. That was part of their routine. And they were very, um, they were just like machines. They just had this thing down. Um, what was interesting, and some historians say this, it's not like this is what happened, but they have some theories, is in the downfall of the Roman culture and army and all those things, as some historians have said that the Roman um, army started to get soft. They started to essentially get comfortable. Once they conquered everybody and had like control, they were like, we're good. They, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't as like hardcore as they used to be. And they would maybe lighten their loads a little bit with their armor. It wouldn't be as heavy. They wouldn't use all components of their armor, whatever it might be. And then soon, they get an attack, and they'd be like, whoa, kind of surprised, not maybe in that machine-like mode to conquer and to defend themselves. So what I believe that, that Paul is saying, even though he didn't know this was going to happen to Roman culture, but he's saying, like, you don't do as the Romans did. Like, don't get comfortable. 
Don't do as the Romans did and allow yourself to just be like, I'm good. Like, there's no attacks on me. Like, I can relax, all those things. No, Paul's heart, and he says this in verse 18, is, is this. And I feel like this is kind of a big part of his scripture is, is pray in the spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Is in that statement, he is encouraging the, the, the church in Ephesus, but also us in 2018, that we shouldn't get comfortable, that we shouldn't just say, oh, like, I'm good. Like, I've been in a, in a really good season. Like, if I don't read my Bible for a week, a month, whatevs, like, I'm good. If I'm not praying, you know, that's, that's okay. But then the enemy is still attacking. The enemy is still going to come after, and we get caught off guard. And we're like, whoa. And so what we see from a historical perspective is the Roman army got comfortable. And some historians say that could have led to their downfall. And so for us as a church, as Christians, we should not do as our Romans did. Let's not get comfortable. And this is one of our last points this morning. And um, what, what Paul is saying in here in that, in that verse 18 is, For any Christ follower, a rhythm of prayer is a must. Prayer is not a last resort, but a first response. For any Christ follower, a rhythm of prayer is a must. Prayer is not a last resort, but a first response. So he just had listed out the elements of the armor of God and how we have this equipping that we can use to defend ourselves and to stand firm when the enemy attacks. Because like you said earlier, the enemy will attack. It's a matter of truth. Like, it's a reality. So here's your weapons. But then at the end of that, Paul says, hey, be praying constantly on every occasion. Be praying in the spirit on every occasion because the enemy is coming. He will come after you. So prayer is not a last resort. It's a first response. And that's Paul's heart to this church in Ephesus is that there would be a church that is prayerful and praying and a church that has that as a part of their rhythm and a part of their life. That it's not just a, oh, life is going crazy. Let's pray. That's all we can do. No, it's your first response. Let's pray. That's great. Yeah, that's all we can do. That's awesome. Prayer is powerful. It'll change things. And seeing it from that perspective. Paul is not saying when you have the time, when it's convenient for you, or when life gets really, really bad, you've tried everything in your power, then that's a good time to pray. No, he's saying pray in the Spirit on all occasions, every time. Be persistent in that. Stay alert. He's kind of using the theme in that soldier armor-wise where sentries, the Roman sentries, would have to stay on alert and guard. If they didn't, they would be executed. So it was a big deal to stay on alert. So he's saying, hey, act like them. Like, stay on alert. Be persistent because the enemy will try to come after you. Now, you might ask, what does Paul mean by praying in the Spirit on all occasions? Simply put, Paul is saying, pray with inspiration. Don't just go through the motions. Pray from your heart and make it a habit. You might be like, well, he's saying like pray in tongues, pray like from the word of God, um, pray from like something written out, like a form. I'm sure Paul would say yes. Yes. All those things. All those things are good. So do it and do it with inspiration, which is from the heart. Pray from the heart and do it on all occasion as a first response. 
Now, there's some fun, great ways to make this a habit, to make this a rhythm in your life. My wife's family has a funny way of praying for one of their good friends. Her name's Ray Lynn. Um, she used to go to this church, Ray Lynn. Um, she's an awesome lady, and she's deathly afraid of birds. It's like her like weird phobia fear. She's like, I think they're going to kill me. <laughs> like, she just believes that. Um, but whenever uh, the Martins see a turkey, they say, pray for Ray. That's their thing. We live in Cheney. There's turkeys everywhere. So they're constantly praying for Ray. They're like, turkey, pray for Ray. And in that moment, they say a simple, heartfelt pray, prayer for Ray. That was kind of rhyming a little bit. Um, anyway, um, so that's what they do to be reminded of that. And that could be something in your family, or you have something on your mirror in your bathroom, something in your car, whatever it is. There was one funny post I saw like on Facebook or Instagram that this person on their speedometer just had this like ticky-tack piece of paper that said, like, just trust, because they were like a road rage type of person, and they were like, look down and be like, ah, oh, trust that Jesus is okay. Okay, 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 you know, like, that, like, that was their reminder for it. Um, and even for myself, the Lord recently has been challenging me, um, even as a pastor, to pray for people. People will come to me a lot and say, can you, be pray- can you pray for me? I'll be like, yeah, or like, can you be praying for this? And I'll say, I'll totally be praying for you. That's kind of the easy way of being like, I hear you, and I might have just not heard what you said. <laughs> and, I, and I feel bad about that. So the Lord said, you know what? Like, you're done with that. When a person asks for you to, to pray for them, you pray for them on the spot. If it's a call, if it's a text message, you send a prayer over text message. If you're in the commons or wherever, at a Starbucks coffee shop, like, pray for them at that moment, in that moment. Because that's what Paul is telling us to do. Is it should be a rhythm. It should be a habit. And it's awkward sometimes. I'm not like a very forward person. Um, and so to step out of that and be like, hey, I'll just pray for you right now in front of all these people in Starbucks and stuff. It's kind of weird. But slowly I've gotten more comfortable in it. And I've seen the benefits of it. And so there's ways that you can um, take some steps to allow this to become a rhythm and a habit within your life. So we live in this world of spiritual warfare. I think that's a reality. That's a truth that Paul has been talking about and been unpacking in these last scriptures. And he's shown us that, like, this is going to happen, but we have these tools to use. And it's kind of up to us to kind of say, okay, what are we going to do about it? Maybe we're still, like, on the fence of, I don't know if this is really true or not. Well, the Bible is really unpacking, and Paul is not some dumb guy. Like, he is a man who is smart, and he has seen things, and he is like, no, this is really, truly happening. And we need to, we need to acknowledge and recognize that there is spiritual warfare. See, the Word of God is clear that it is happening, and it's not going to end until Jesus comes back. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit back and be oblivious to the war that is being waged? Or we're going to do something and kick some spiritual butt. I just said butt in church. But really, truly being empowered by the Holy Spirit to go after the enemy and to use what God has given us to wage war. And again, like I said earlier, what's so cool and a confidence for us is we have won this war. The enemy says, bring it on. We say, yeah, bring it on. Because we've won this through Christ Jesus. He is already raised from the death. He has conquered the grave. And that truth alone says we've won. So you're a little potato bug devil, like you're going to get smashed. So as Paul concludes his letter, he instructs the church 
to be praying for him to be more bold while he is in prison. What I love about this last statement is Paul in his prayer to the church of Ephesus doesn't say, can you pray that I get released from prison? No, his prayer is actually, can you pray that God uses me in prison to talk about Jesus? That's his prayer. And uh, something that I've heard years ago, but it's been something that's challenged me a lot in my faith, is what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. So in this statement, Paul believes that God will use them in any way possible to spread the gospel. A lot of times I go from a safety standpoint. God, keep me safe. Get me out of this jail. It stinks. It's scary. So like, that's a good truth that like God will protect me, but it's also it's kind of me focused a little bit. And that's a scary kind of thought of like, whoa, it's kind of about me. Where Paul is saying, man, God, use me to just help people know you. Like that is an outwardly focused, a go style prayer in that. So Paul encourages the church to be praying for church leaders, missionaries, and what a cool privilege it was to pray for Keegan and Abigail earlier that we get to send them out, right? Amen. And so Paul is saying, like, be praying for all the believers everywhere, not just your close circle, but everybody who is in this life and is in this spiritual battle because the enemy wants to take from them. So as we close in this section, Paul's heart is that we as Christ followers would continue to, to continue or start a rhythm of prayer and be bold in using the armor of God to wage war against the enemy. It's no coincidence that next week we're going to be starting an eight-week series about prayer and just starting to discuss, unpack, and really get into the power of prayer. And if we look back at the church of Ephesus, God did some huge things in that culture. Just turn the tide through the power of prayer. And I believe for our church, our city, our community, we're going to see some amazing things occur because we're going to be a church that is praying bold prayers and allowing the Holy Spirit to just completely change people's hearts and minds for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul saw the power of prayer in a huge way, and I believe that wasn't just something for his time. I believe it is for all times. I believe that we can experience that as well in 2018. So I believe we're going to see some amazing things and hear some amazing God stories. And again, it starts with the power of prayer. And it starts by waging that war, that spiritual warfare, and saying we're coming after the enemy and we're going to take some ground. We're going to use what God gave us to truly go after the enemy and gain ground for the kingdom. Amen? Well, one thing I want to end with, um, and this is the last thing, is last year, Mark and Kate, uh, our lead pastors, came back from, from sabbatical, and they had this prayer, this, this, this Puritan prayer book, and they had this one prayer that stuck out. We've been actually reading through this prayer every Tuesday at our staff meetings as a pastoral staff and, and staff here at the church. And I want us as a church to read this this morning, and I'll have it up on the screen um, behind us, and it's... Um, just a prayer that I believe has the values that our church holds, but also some prophetic statements that I think we're going to start seeing coming up in these next weeks and months and even years of our church environment. Um, and so I want you just to read aloud with me um, in this prayer, and it starts with this. Nothing exceeds your power. Nothing is too great for you to do. Nothing too good for you to give. Infinite is your might. 
boundless your love, limitless your grace, glorious your saving name. Let angels sing for sinners repenting, prodigals restored, backsliders reclaimed, Satan's captives released, blind eyes opened, broken hearts mended, the depressed cheered, the self-righteous stripped, the proud driven from a refuge of lies, the questioning enlightened, the saints built up in their holy faith. I ask great things of a great God. Lord Jesus, this morning, that's our prayer, and that's something that we want to live out, Lord. And um, as we are reminded from your word, just that there is a battle going on, but yet, God, we have won that battle because your son, Jesus, is greater, and he has conquered the grave. And through that, we have the confidence to engage in this battle, knowing that we have weapons and shields and all sorts of things, Lord, to stand firm when the battle happens. So God, encourage us this morning to live that out. And Jesus, encourage us as we take on the enemy. Because as we pray for these prayers, the enemy is ready to, to just um, come after us as well. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hello. Well, hello. So God just put it on your parents' hearts. These are my mom. This is my mom and dad. <laughs> you guys want to have a microphone? Oh, it's okay. Okay. It, it, we just want to encourage parents out there of children to pray for their kids continually. We, um, I'm going to get a microphone for you. We just felt extremely responsible for these two boys that God gave us. And Cooper was talking about when he was a child and how he had a lot of anxiety and fears and worries, and it's true, it was extreme. And so to his elementary mind, I brought it down to a potato bug that he could squish. He's right. But our prayers for him were constant, and we would lay hands on him when he was sleeping, and we would send him out to school. We'd see him with his little backpack, big backpack and a little person, crying as he went to school because he was so nervous and so scared. And he dealt with this for a long time. We came against Satan in Jesus' name. And we told Cooper, you speak in tongues all the way to school. That little guy received tongues at a very young age. And this little guy would just walk. We'd watch him. And we prayed over his room at night. We kept anything that Satan would want to bring into our home away. All the demonic movies, the cartoons, all the stuff that Satan wanted to wiggle in and try to hurt our two boys and us, we rebuked it all. And we continually stood for these two kids because the attack was really heavy on both our boys and we knew because there was a prophetic word that was spoken over Cooper when he was only four and five years of age that he would be a pastor. And we wanted to believe that, but we also thought we had a responsibility to pray over him continually. And our other son is a worship leader many times and he's also a teacher and he's against some really terrible things during the day in his middle school. He prays continually. There is a spiritual warfare going on. And I just wanted to come up here and just really encourage parents to lay hands on their children, to anoint their rooms 
we prayed continually and we came against Satan continually in our home because he constantly wants to rob, steal, and destroy our kids along with adults, but he wants to start with these little people. Mm -hmm. And I just felt to get up and say that. Can you, uh, you, you want to pray um, just for the parents in the room and, sure. and stuff? Um, Lord, we just pray for all the parents in the room right now in Jesus' name. We just thank you for them. We thank you for all the, the little ones that are out there, the new ones that just came into this world, and those are yet to, to come into this world, Lord. There's so many young families in this church. I just pray in Jesus' name that you would put protection over each and every one of them, their moms, their dads, their grandparents, Lord, their older sisters, younger brothers, whoever it would be, Lord God, just protect them in Jesus' name. We just put the blood of Jesus over each and every home in this entire church body. And we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for your resurrection life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being obedient to share that for our church. Appreciate it. Thank you.